Hey everyone, Eric Stewart here from Fishing Fanatics, and I have an awesome guest here, Mark Mendez, who is a Bassmaster Elite Series angler. He's got $1.3 million in Bassmaster earnings, and he's a three-time Bassmaster champion. He's been a pro angler for 30 years. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing well, Eric. Thanks for having me on today. And Mark, like we were talking a little bit before, I really appreciate you kind of taking the time out, cutting it out of your busy schedule, and kind of coming on here doing a podcast with me. Well, I'm glad to. It's uh, it's cold here today in Kentucky. Uh, the wind's blowing about 30. So if I can't go fishing, I can talk about it anyway. I love it. I love it. So let's dive right into it. And, you know, 30 years of experience in professional bass fishing. I just love to ask you, how, how did you get into professional bass fishing? What was like that first step that you took to get into it? And then any mentors along the way that kind of helped you in your career? Well, you know, any career that you choose to go in, it's not one single step. It's a lot of little stutter steps along the way that, that get you there. And um, I've, my parents have pictures of me where I'm two years old in a diaper, fishing in a minnow bucket with a, with a stick and a string. And I'm chasing two minnows that are going round and round in a circle. So it started at a very young age. Uh, we moved into Paducah when I was about eight or nine years old, seven, eight, nine years old. That was in the 70s. And that's when the bass club proliferation was really happening. Bass clubs were popping up everywhere. Ray Scott had that moving along with BASS. And uh, my next door neighbor was a big bass clubber. And his name was Clyde Watts. And uh, Clyde would come in from fishing on days of fishing. And I'd see him back in. And most of the time I was playing basketball at his house because he had a basketball goal for his kids or his young, his, his kids were younger or older than I was. And uh, he'd back the boat in and I'd say, well, that's a, this kind of bait and that's a, that kind of bait. And this bait's for this. And this is a Rapala and that's an old strike King spinner bait and blah, 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 blah. So I finally captured his interest and he asked to take me fishing when I was about uh, 10 years old and, and we fished all day and my dad went with us. And uh, at five o'clock he says, well, Guys, we've got to go home. Ms. Watts will have dinner on the table. And I said, no, sir, Mr. Watts, we can't go yet. And he and Clyde says, well, why? I said, well, it's not dark yet. So he knew he had a fisherman in the boat. And I fished with him for the next four years. Um, and um, he taught me pattern fishing. He taught me how to find fish. Clyde was an executive with a telephone company, and he moved about four years later. Um, and we fished. Um, all the time up until, up until his, his death a, a year ago, he passed away about a year and a half ago. And, uh, there was another neighbor in the backyard. My best friend's dad was the tournament angler, Eric, in the area. When you went to a tournament in the mid seventies, you had to beat Dave Hutchison. And Dave was a unique fella. He was a civil engineer and, um, was way ahead of his time with light line and spinning gear. He used spinning gear an awful lot. He taught me how to use uh, light line, six, eight, 10 pound line. He also taught me how to use heavier spinning gear when flipping bushes and willow trees for different kinds of, 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 of presentations. And I fished with Dave forever and ever. We won lots of tournaments together and uh, went to Murray State after that. Got my degree in fisheries biology, was dilly dallying with a, a a degree, you know, a master's degree in education. And then I came home one day and said, mom, I'll see you. I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to Montgomery, Alabama to pay my entry fees. And that was in spring of 91 or, or, or spring of 90, let's see, fall. Yeah. Spring of 91. 
I went out on tour uh, fall of 91. And in spring of 92, I got a letter saying that I had qualified for then the Bassmaster Top 100s, the BP Top 100s. And I've been there ever since, Eric. I've been very fortunate, very, very fortunate. What an absolute crazy ride that you had, too. And, and I'm just looking at my notes here, and correct me if this is wrong, but so you entered the tournament in 1992, but then in 1997, you caught the largest largemouth bass, the biggest largemouth bass in BASSA, or BASS, um, and that record held from 1997 to 1999. That bass was 13.9 pounds. 13 pounds, 9 ounces, and it was the biggest bass in the first 35 years of Bassmaster organization, and um, that was really kind of the, the the sounding board, the shot that went across everybody's bow that, um, you know, that may, maybe I was a quality fisherman. And what I had done prior to that, Eric, is I had started working with riders in 95 and 96. And a lot of those articles, the lead time was coming up. And so I was showing up in Bassmaster Magazine, um, made the finals of Megabucks with that fish, broke that record with that fish, went to the classic. And then the next year I won my first tournament. So all of that just kind of dominoed at one time. And that gave me a, um, the, the formidable place to stand from. And, and, you know, my career was on its way at that time. Yeah. Perfect storm. And how do you, how do you even locate a fish of that size? Oh, well, I, you know, uh, you know, Rick Lunn, the all time greatest bass fisherman there ever was. And I were good friends and, um, he was sitting over there when I weighed that fish in he's like, come here, come here, come here. And he says, now, Mark, I want you to think of all the influences, all the people that have helped you along the way, all the fishing trips that you've been in, all the tournaments you've been to, and all the cast that you've made, and you're in this position at this time. And he says, how does that make you feel? And well, me, having spent a lot of time with Rick, I always give him a hard time and give him a smart answer. And I said, well, Rick, I just made a lucky cast. He got mad and walked off because of the significance of what it was. I winked at his wife, Melissa, and I said, you know, I'm just kidding. And he says, she, he knows. Melissa said, he knows that you're just kidding. But we've talked about it several times. And um, that's been a mentor for me on tour in Rick, all of the years of experience that he has. When I've got an issue or I've got something I'm, I'm puzzled about, um, I'll go to him. And I did that very often in my early days and early career. Um, really, really a wonderful person to have in your back pocket to be able to talk to a uh, great friend and, and great competitor. That's awesome. And I'm sure on tour, it's probably a whole different level of what I'm used to when I'm just fishing with my buddies, but. The oh no, no, it's the same thing. It's just, it just costs more entry fees at ours, but we're giving each other a hard time, Eric. You know, I, they saw me run through the back of the Creek and knock my lower unit off. They saw me when I broke my line. Oh yeah, it, it, and you hear about it when you you do something stupid. And you turn around, and look, and go, oh good, there's nobody there. Well, you didn't see your best buddy Matt Heron around the corner over there behind that willow bush, laughing his butt off at you because he saw us. Oh no, it's the same. It's the same. I promise. That's pretty cool to see that same culture carry over because it's the same way. Like when I go fishing out with my buddies uh, recently, I actually put a hole in the bottom of my boat because um, I was just <laughs> I was just being a knucklehead and man my buddies gave me a bunch of crap the entire time i just never heard the end of it i'm sure it's probably like that oh yeah so oh like yeah we yeah there's there's been lots of things that i've done that that i wish nobody had seen so yeah you got to have thick skin if you're going to be a fisherman i don't care what level it is i love it so 
as I mentioned, you won three major tournaments there for Bass. And what was it like coming out of that first victory and how did that kind of like send you on your way to just win more? Well, that first victory was in 98. It was a, it was at Pickwick and Wilson Lakes. And um, I, I stumbled onto a pattern, um, something that I taught myself at a, at a, at a relatively advanced age in fishing. I didn't start throwing a suspending jerk bait till I was, well, doggone, I was probably, uh, I'm going to say I was probably 25 or 26 years old. And I took that, it just really clicked with me. There's certain things that click. There's certain things you get real comfortable with. And that was one of them. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an extremely patient person. Um, I, I understand for whatever reason, what bass do in cold water. I love to fish in the late fall. I love to fish in the winter. I love early spring. I never was a big hunter. So I'd have the entire lake to myself. And I developed that technique with that, that suspending jerk bait. And it fell right into place. Once I saw the way the shad were suspended and how the fish were related to them, I said, mm, this could be ugly. Um, I think I, I locked up on Wilson the first day and I had 17 or 18 pounds in a matter of, of no time. And I was very worried about bars tracks. So I locked down an hour early with that 17 pounds. And at the, and at the bottom there in Pickwick, um, at the headwaters of Pickwick, there's a lot of lay down trees and I picked up a jig and, and made a cast and I caught a seven pounder and I'm in second place the first day. And then the second day of the tournament, I caught 20 and the third day I caught another 18 and a half and I won the tournament by seven pounds. Um, what's interesting about the tournaments like that for me, Eric, is there've been times when I could look you in the eye and say, Eric, I'm going to win at such and such place in three weeks. And you'd say, well, how do you know? I said, I just know it. The planets are lining up. And it's happened to me in, in each of the wins on the Bassmaster Tournament Trail. Um, my second win was in 2005, and I had been sick that year. I'd had meningitis. I almost died from meningitis at, uh, at Gunnersville. I had to withdraw from a tournament, uh, the Elite Series at Gunnersville. I was out for several months. That was in February. The first tournament of the Southern Opens was in June. And I told my wife at the time before she'd passed away, I told Donna, I said, I'm going to win. And she goes, I just want you to do your best, Mark. I said, no, you don't hear me. She said, what? I said, the planets, they're lining up right now. And I'm going to win. She's, well, how are you going to win? I said, I don't know yet, but I'm going to win. I told my best buddy that was rooming with me. I told one of my good friends in Georgia, I said, watch out. I'm going to win. And I entered that space, that tournament, with the thought of what do I have to do to win? And it all just fell in perfect place. The water came up a couple of inches. There was a late spawn in late May. So those fish were still shallow. That little bit of water kept them up uh, shallower. The full moon came around the same time of the tournament. It kept a few of those fish shallower. So the whole tournament, everybody was fishing deeper and deeper and deeper offshore. I went shallower and shallower. And I found a group of fish that nobody was bothering. It was on West Point in Georgia, a lake that it doesn't take a lot to win on. I had 30, 37 pounds, basically. And I won that tournament by over seven pounds. And it got me back on track. I, I made the Open Championship that year. And I made the top five of the Open Championship in the, in the championship tournament. And it sent me to the Classic. It was a, it was a miraculous comeback from the near brink of, of dying to standing on the classic stage and having another trophy in my hand. Uh, it was, it was an amazing time period, uh, shaped my life. It is what it did. Sure did. 
I gotta tell you, man. I Mark, I got I got chills right now just listening to that entire story too about like, even just how confident you are going into it. Like you knew that something was meant for you there, and you were going to capitalize on it. You know, I won my first Bass Club Classic at 14, 15 years old, and I told my classmates I needed the weather to do this, I needed this to happen, and this to happen, and it all just like dominoes lined up. And that's the first time I knew I was going to win. I won that tournament um, by about five or six pounds in a very low weight tournament. I had 12 and a half, 13 pounds and seven pounds was the next, next place. And those guys were absolutely amazed that I was able to pull off what I did. And um, I knew I would win that tournament, had no idea how I was going to do it. And, I sure wish that feeling would come around, you know, in 2023. It's been a long time. It's been since 2010 since I've won a, or 2009 since I've won an, an elite tournament. But I'd like to, I'd like to see that that feeling come again. So uh, anytime would be great. <laughs> yeah, just always waiting on it. Just is today today. Look at the watch. Eh, maybe it's going to be tomorrow. Uh, exactly. Exactly. That's great. And um, I want to switch gears a little bit right now, because I know you do a lot of good work in invasive species and uh, specifically the Yamaha Wright Water Program. Is that correct? Yes. Sweet. Can you just share with our listeners what that program is all about and how you're kind of involved with it? Well, it's, it's a really neat program, Eric. You know, Yamaha being a major manufacturer in the fishing and boating uh, industry um, has always been extremely good at forecasting whether it's forecasting how many nuts and bolts they need for motors or wiring they need for motors or props or whatever it is. They've been really, really spot on in forecasting things like that. So the brilliant minds at Yamaha says, you know, we, we really ought to give back to the sport in which we're making a living from. And they, they, you know, conservation and ecology were the things that, that they thought would be really good to, to utilize, and, and, and they developed the Right Waters Program. And it's a partnership with other organizations. Um, we've partnered with DU on coastal res restoration. Um, we've done, um, we had a lot to do with the legality of the uh, red snapper fishing issues that were 10, 12 years ago uh, in the in the Gulf of Mexico and enter the Asian carp, um, a problem that became at my home on Kentucky and Barkley Lakes in the Tennessee River, a real economic um, factor that it, that it took businesses, motels, gasoline stations, grocery stores, tackle shops, and they 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 went out of business because no one was coming here because our, our bio, the biology of Kentucky and Barkley Lakes completely changed with this new fish coming in. And um, my bosses there knew that I had a fisheries uh, biology degree, uh, that I was fearless in talking to people and, and could talk the lingo on the biology side, could talk the lingo on the manufacturer side. Uh, and they asked me to go to Washington, D.C. And I went and I met with... Uh, many, many lawmakers on Capitol Hill um, and, and told them the economic issues that this one single invasive species of fish was doing to my waters. Um, and, and we had an obligation and, and they agreed. And I've been in front of about 60% of the House and Senate members. Um, uh, went directly to, uh, at that time, um, 
Speaker McConnell's office, and we had had multiple conversations about this. And uh, this uh, this whole de- thing developed. And I said, I said, Senator, we need we need monies. We need monies because we're behind. Our biologists are behind because they don't know the life cycles. They need equipment. We need to do more uh, research on on this. And and we were able to get that. And is the Asian carp problem going away? No, it's not. But we have lessened the Asian carp in Kentucky and Barkley Lakes. We're keeping them out of the Cumberland Riverside on Lake Barkley with a bath, a bioacoustic fish fence that is sound, light, and bubbles and that uh, is keeping those fish from going through the dam. We're going to do, uh, hopefully put another one of those on Kentucky Lake. Uh, we're putting a secondary lock in, so we need two of those there, and we're stopping that progression up the Tennessee River. Tennessee River is one of the most fertile rivers in the United States, and the bass fishing is off the chain on the Tennessee River. So we're seeing those numbers of carp being slowed down. We also developed a um, an industry here uh, for commercial fishermen to catch these things and get them out of the system, which has been quite effective. These guys are, they're as dangerous as the top bass pros are with rod and reels as far as catching bass. These guys have figured these fish out. We've got a burgeoning market. They're making a living. They're getting them out of the lake. Our bass, bluegill, crappie have come back. Our bait fish have come back. And now, you know, where I used to catch 100 bass a day, 50 bass a day quite often on Kentucky Lake, you and I can go, Eric, uh, we can go tomorrow, uh, and we would uh, we would expect to catch between 8 and 12 keeper bass a day between the two of us and probably have one four-and-a-half to five-pound fish. And the unique thing is, is our smallmouth, have come back and have been the dominant bass here over the last four or five years. It's taking 20 pounds a day to win here now with smallmouth. Um, that never used to happen, and uh, our numbers are getting better, and it's just a great thing to see that that the fishery is coming back. Economics are too, for that matter. That's yeah, it's a crazy twist, Mark. Because when I was first looking into it, like we have a lot of we have a lot of northern uh, snakeheads up here by me in uh, Pennsylvania. Sure, I've caught some up there. Yeah, and me too on the, on frogs and uh, and buzz baits, but you don't really think about the economics of it when there's a small tackle shop there or a hotel there. People travel down to those big lakes and they really want to fish because it's premium fishing spots. Like the best yes. fishing spots in the world. And you don't think about those small businesses, man, that are just impacted by invasive species like that. And it's, it's an interesting twist for sure. It did. It stopped the crappie fishermen from coming, which Kentucky Lake has always been known as one of the best crappie locations in the world. The bass fishing here has always been great. It's always taken a, a five and a half to six pound average here to win. I mean, I've caught 30, I've caught 25 pounds of fish, you know, in tournaments. I bet, I bet I've weighed 25 in 50 times and not get a check, not get a check because the fishing was so good. Caught 32 one time and got beat by eight pounds. Guys had five that weighed 40. You know, this place was off the hook. It was just ridiculous how good it was. But it's good to see that it's coming back, having a few more tournaments. It was good to let the lake, you know, take some of that pressure off. Um, but but w- without r- the Right Waters program um, and the war on carp that a local judge executive, Wade White, got started, got me involved, and we went to Yamaha, and then it proliferated from there. Without without Judge White and uh, and and Yamaha, we we would still be behind the eight ball. We've got a lot of work left to do here, Eric. We're doing that. Our our fisheries people are are learning more. They're learning more about the fish. They're learning their habits more, uh, and so we can get them out. And they're good to eat. It's a carp 
but it's a basic plankton eater. So it eats the food chain from the bottom up. And that's, that's where it does the damage in the lake, but they taste really good. I've had them many different ways. So um, it is a good food source for, for people as well. Very cool, man. And, you know, I appreciate all the work you do and Yamaha does too. I'm going to link it into the bottom of this podcast and the description of this podcast for you guys to go check it out, donate, get involved there. Um, and just see what more they have about. And Mark, I just want to say one last time, thank you for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. when I was looking at you, looking at your resume. Absolute legend. I know we talked before. You're just, you said it yourself. I'm just a normal old bass fisherman. But for me personally, thank you for coming on this episode. And I just want to give you a shout out too, real quick, at the end of these podcasts, if there's anything you want to plug, any of your social media handles that you want to talk about a little bit and that you want to give out to our listeners, you can go ahead and do that now. Sure. Sure. Well, you could find me on Instagram at Mark Menendez Bass, or you can find me on Twitter at Mark Menendez. Those are the two uh, social medias that I use the most. Um, you can, you can also uh, go to YouTube and watch past episodes of my television show. Uh, please link and subscribe to that. It's MM Bass TV. Uh, I have a local television show here on the local television station and, and lots of those old episodes are there as well. So that's MM Bass TV at YouTube. So I appreciate that, Eric. We, there's a lot of old stuff. There's a lot of crazy stuff in there. There's uh, some good fishing on Kentucky Lake. There's some fishing on uh, a fabled place here in West Kentucky called Lake X. Um, some good friends of mine own that. I do a lot of filming there because it's such a good place to be able to teach. And that's what the show's all about. It's about it's about educating guys to be and gals to be better fishermen. It's not two bubbas in a boat having a big time. This is about technique and how to and uh, how to get the job done that way. So I enjoy doing that. And um, we're getting ready to get started for our fourth or fifth season uh, here on the WPSD here uh, next in two weeks. So I'm excited about that. Very cool. And they will all be linked in the description. I appreciate it, Mark. All right. Good fishing to everybody. Thanks for having me, Eric. You just listened to the Fishing Fanatics podcast with your host, Eric Stewart. Feel free to check out our other podcasts and our other interviews on our channel, on Spotify, YouTube, and much more. Check out our Instagram page, TikTok, and Facebook as well.